Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to our supporters, Festival Republic. You've probably spent a weekend in a field with them at some point. They put on some of the UK's best known festivals and they're also leading when it comes to sustainability. From powering their events with cleaner energy to sending zero waste to landfill, they've already switched single-use plastic bottles to those made from recycled materials, brought in deposit return schemes for cups and trialled ideas like labelling the carbon footprint of the food on sale. They're also active in greening the music industry more broadly. They've signed up to Music Declares Emergencies pledges and they're a driving force within Vision 2025, a body bringing outdoor events and climate goals together. Sounds Like a Plan is all about ideas and solutions, so it made sense to me to team up with one of the most proactive festival organisers out there. One of their main events is the legendary Reading Festival, always the best lineup of the summer. It takes place at Richfield Avenue, Reading from the 26th to the 28th of August 2022. Weekend tickets are already on sale, so head to readingfestival.com forward slash tickets to get yours. That's readingfestival.com forward slash tickets. So big up Festival Republic for their support and their essential work. They say their job is to preserve the live music experience for generations to come. And that is something we can all get behind. Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. My name is Greg Cochran. I'm a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician, producer and co-founder of Music Declares Emergency, a campaigning organisation that brings music into the fight against climate change. And this time we are talking about connecting climate solutions and music fans together on the ground at gigs and festivals. We welcome Lauren Sullivan onto the podcast, co-founder and co-director of Reverb. From Billie Eilish to Harry Styles, the 1975 to Tame Impala, Lauren's organisation works with some huge names. We'll hear about how Reverb helped both artists and their supporters go greener. And as always, we'll leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast. Let's start with some big big news in our world this week, Faye. Uh, You know that I need no excuse to mention Coldplay on this podcast, but last week they revealed details of their Music of the Spheres world tour happening next year in uh, 2022. They said that they'd come at it with a plan that truly considers the planet and sustainability, and they have, because this contains some pretty groundbreaking stuff, or certainly stuff that we haven't really seen on this scale before. A quick bit of backstory for for those that are unfamiliar. Coldplay made headlines in 2019 when Chris Martin told BBC News that they wouldn't tour again until they found a more sustainable way of doing it, an approach that had a less damaging impact on the planet. And true to their word, they basically spent the last two years doing research in this area. And here it is. In a statement announcing all of this, they said they were very conscious that the planet is facing a climate crisis and that they're making this tour as sustainable as possible and want to harness the tour's potential to push things forward, adding that we won't get everything right, but we are committed to doing everything we can and sharing what we learn. Faye, this feels like fairly kind of seismic news, right? Certainly for us, because we've been talking about this, uh, the fact that this might happen for quite a while. Um, What's your reaction to it? And what kind of message do you think it sends out? Well, it's really, I mean, it's really cool. The thing that really gets me is the kinetic dance floor. So it's like, there's this new thing. I don't even, I should probably know a bit more about it. But 
kinetic dance floor. So the electricity is created using the footfall of people on the dance floor. So they're going to have to make people jump in the air, dance and move around. Otherwise, like all the lights go out or, you know, the music stops. <laughs> I love that idea. I mean, when you're playing a gig, it's always your aim to get people moving anyway. It's quite mm, um, mm. exciting to have that kind of extra reason for doing it. And I'm sure it will actually make people, once they know that's what's going on, it will make people move around a lot more and be really feel part of part of the solution in a way part of um creating like green i mean that's just amazing you can do that yeah it's it's such a good use of it as well so that's that's super exciting and it's it's also nice to you know they made this big statement and people talked about it a lot Mm, and it was mm. really important for people in in that position of you know they can get headlines in the mainstream newspapers to make a big statement on climate and to talk about their own carbon footprint and sustainability. And so, yeah, it's really interesting and really cool to see them now following up with some really innovative ways of making it happen, basically. It makes me excited. I mean, not that I wouldn't be excited to go and see Coldplay anyway, but like you say, the participation, the, the, the feeling that if you were going to the concert that you were somehow even more involved than you normally would be is definitely like an extra incentive I think in terms of the nuts and bolts of this just to just to quickly talk about some of the the things that they're doing they've produced basically a 12 point plan about how they are making their tour more sustainable and some of these measures you will definitely be familiar with Faye because a lot of this information is available on the Music Declares Emergency website and it's things that you talk about regularly but one thing you already mentioned there like that does feel really really innovative is the fact that they're going to be generating power using a kinetic dance floor and then basically storing that energy i I guess in in massive batteries and and then maybe taking it to the next night show or however that's going to work they're also going to use um, some solar power and some pedal power so people on bikes are going to be involved in this i'm putting my hand up right now i want to go and pedal pedal for a Coldplay show I think that'd be great I'm, I'm just gonna put my hand up and say I don't want to do that but like <laughs> you go right on ahead <laughs> you won't be saying that when you see me on stage with Coldplay at Wembley Stadium <laughs> I tell you yeah so that's that's great I mean that that's certainly something that's like uh, again uh, we know that like bike power has been used at various kind of UK festivals before but the fact that Coldplay are taking it on tour is really really great sends out a good message the itinerary is going to minimize air travel so there are gaps between the dates and the routing has been really carefully considered so when you look at the actual mapping of the world tour they've obviously left quite long periods in between the travel so they can get themselves from one location and all of the everything that's going on tour with them to the next place so it's not like they're playing consecutive nights they're obviously taking their time to be able to get to places in a more in a more ecologically friendly fashion they're also working with venues on their efficiencies so considering things like the water use so even things like the kind of toilets so if you've got you know 80,000 people going to see Coldplay each night in a stadium that's a lot of water that's going to get used the set for the tour so obviously when you go and see Coldplay the set the things on stage are always spectacular the set is going to be made from materials chosen for their environmental credentials so things like bamboo which is great and energy efficiency on things like lighting and lasers again that's come up in conversations that we've had on this podcast before and two other things that are part of their 12 point plan have you have you been to a Coldplay gig Faye have you had one of those wrist those flashing wristbands or seen them before that, that they get given out no I haven't I haven't had the pleasure <laughs> the um if you go to a Coldplay gig they do this thing where you get given a wristband and it flashes in time with some of the music at various points of the gig so the entire entire concert oh, kind of yeah. like is part of the experience i actually saw dan deacon do a thing like that with uh, uh, with everyone uh, an app and you had this app on oh, your okay. phone and his 
His sound waves cause different, like, color to flash on the screen of your phone. So he just plays with these, like, a high-pitched sound and it would go to yellow or something. It was insane. Oh, it's cool. really cool. Anyway, yeah, carry on. Yeah. So they're going to make these, these wristbands are going to be compostable. They're going to be made from plant-based materials and they're going to be reused. So they're sort of a bit of a Coldplay signature thing, you know, right. but they've, they've, they've really thought about how they're going to... Will they still glow? Yeah, yeah, they must do. They must do. I don't know the ins and outs of how it's going to work, but they're. But I think it's become like a bit of an integral part of the Coldplay experience. So they've obviously sort of thought about that one. And the final thing is they're going to introduce an app. So if you're going to go to one of these um, stadium gigs on this world tour, there is going to be an app that is going to suggest the most low carbon travel options to you as a as a person traveling to that gig. So they have thought about that. Obviously, they they can't think of absolutely everything on this front. Obviously, there's going to be gaps in it where there could be improvements, but they're obviously, they recognize the fact that audience travel is such a huge contributor to the environmental impact of any any music event so that's that's really interesting too so they're saying this tour is going to have 50 percent fewer carbon dioxide emissions than their last world tour i thought they said they were going to make it completely carbon neutral <laughs> yeah no it and it definitely isn't it's kind of important to recognize that you know that they've they've made strides here but yeah and by their own admission basically that that this is i think chris martin in his interview announcing these measures said that they're about 50 percent um, they've, they're about halfway to where they want to be with this ultimately, but that they want to go out there and set an example and learn from going around the world doing this and hopefully basically share that information, share that knowledge, because this is it's more than just Coldplay just one artist setting an example once this work is done this we've, we've come back to this so often on the podcast once often when something is done once basically a stadium tour is kind of the same so much of it is the same thing depending mm. on the artist obviously the gig is different the feel is different the music is different but the actual infrastructure what goes into the actual creation of that thing is fairly similar and doesn't really matter on the artist so hopefully the the learnings from this can be picked up and kind of transplanted to different tours and yeah i guess what i'm saying is this feels quite monumental you can hit you can probably hear that i'm quite excited by this Faye. this does feel like big news and we've been waiting for it for for a little while so great that it's finally been announced and and, and i hope that the um that there is a kind of seismic knock-on effect it's interesting that the article that i'm reading here is that they're basically leading with we're going to get a big backlash to this which is mm. the kind of shame that anyone do it you know anyone of that scale who you know you're on that podium some people love you some people don't like you so much and you try and do something and everyone gives you shit for it basically and yeah, that's yeah. like they already know that that's going to happen um i don't think mm. that's necessary it's it's obviously not perfect but it is like don't let perfect be the enemy of the good i love that phrase because mm. it's like not, nothing's perfect there's no completely perfect system that is mm. completely doesn't use anything you know that's that it just doesn't exist so you might as well do the best you can and they're obviously mm. making huge strides and, and pushing things forward in this for all other bands and all other artists um yeah so it's brilliant go Coldplay shall we get on with the rest of the podcast Faye let's do it just quickly, thank you to everyone who tuned into our episode with Brian Eno last week. A great first guest to welcome onto this, our second series of Sounds Like a Plan. And a problem solved, actually, I think. A listener got in touch afterwards. Um, the name of the track that Brian Eno referenced, so he, he talked about a song that he'd composed um, specifically for Coldplay that used to get played in the stadiums when they play ahead of the gigs. And then the proceeds of that would go to Client Earth, which is a, a major and an impactful climate cause. He couldn't 
couldn't remember what the name of the song was and I went out afterwards and scoured the internet and couldn't find what it was called but Odysseys and forgive me if I've got that name wrong got in touch via Instagram we are sounds like a planned podcast there and the track they said is called Thursday Afternoon apparently so I haven't had a chance to um to check out the song or, or actually check out whether it definitely is called Thursday Afternoon but I definitely I trust you Odysseys so thank you for helping us share that information and if you do want to use that song if you're an artist or a performer or a venue and you want to put that song on ahead of any gig automatically some of that PRS money will go to a great cause so it's just um, we're filling in the gaps there brilliant I love that I can't wait to listen to that track let's hope it's a really good walking on stage song can imagine it would be yeah i reckon so i reckon so last week we deliberately started broad discussing uh, earth percent with brian eno an initiative that he co-founded which is all about funneling some money from the music world into the climate side of things um, so that the most impactful climate organizations can get some funding and that's accessible to pretty much anybody in the music community so if you're an artist a manager festival booker agent venue boss you can get involved with that that is an initiative for everyone so um, we deliberately started with something that was huge and accessible this week we are talking about ground level actions and that's all about basically being out there at gigs and at festivals meeting other people having conversations talking about climate action something you're really really well versed in Faye Reverb are one of the originals in this respect a really really impactful organization fantastic to hear about the work that they do Faye and I will discuss the conversation that we had afterwards but let's get into introducing our guest this is Lauren Sullivan co-founder and co-director of Reverb sounds like a plan Lauren, delighted to have you join us on the podcast. Reverb's been doing fantastic work for a long time now, about 17 years, I think. Can you take us back to the very beginnings of it and tell us a bit about how and why you set it up? Definitely. So yeah, we are heading, I think this is, we're heading into our 18th year currently, which is just absolutely wild to believe. Um, But Reverb came about from my desire as a person coming from the nonprofit world um, and realizing that we were sort of this, you know, there are many metaphors like echo chamber, sniffing our own fumes, any of those sorts of things where we were kind of gathered together around the table, all nodding at each other because we all agreed with what needed to happen around the environment and how we needed to come together. But there were many occasions where we weren't really branching out outside of our environmental community. And the question for me was, you know, how do I do that? During my time at an organization called the Rainforest Action Network out in San Francisco, California, where I worked for a time as a campaigner, um, we had partnered with artists like Bonnie Raitt and Dave Matthews Band, and they had come on board helping to fight for old growth forests. And I just remember saying, God, this is amazing. I love what's happening here. And I love how these celebrities, these musicians are using their voices to fight for the environment and these old growth forests. Like what a magical coming together of some of the most ancient things in the world, like mother earth and music, you know? So that was this kind of connection that, that, you know, planted a seed in my brain. There's this world of musicians that are on the road, sharing their art and connecting with the community of fans that they have. that are so kind of intent on that, on that kind of back and forth and that, that dialogue between fan and musician you know, there, it's just not sustainable and it's, and it's kind of counterintuitive to their art and what they're doing out there. And so it was this aha moment of, 
would be, yeah, be pretty cool if we could really, um, you know, use that platform and, and give voice to all these nonprofits that I care so deeply about as somebody who's come from the environmental nonprofit world and remembered Bonnie Raitt and her incredible activism and said, oh, you know, I know her manager's name. Maybe I could just call her and tell her who I am and could just see what they think because we know that they're doing amazing things on the road already. It was called Green Highway, Bonnie Raitt's Green Highway. And so finally, after far too long, I got the gumption to call her manager, Kathy Kane, and say those things. And she was just, you know, phenomenal. She comes from Greenpeace, so she had this activist background as well. And she was like, yeah, we have all the green highway supplies and these road cases and tents and banners and flags, and we have a nonprofit. We'll be your fiscal sponsor. So it was one of those incredible conversations where we go, okay, this is the path is diverging. What what can we do here? And give our friends, the, the Bare Naked Ladies, a buzz up in Canada and see what they're doing because they're connected to the World Wildlife Fund and have Priuses and care about the environment. And they're heading out of the road with Alanis Morissette. And um, let's talk with those folks and see if they're willing to have us on board. And we'll emulate the green highway model and start from there. And so that was how it all began. Amazing. And I was just wondering quickly, what is the green highway model? I mean, it's, it's kindred, it's really kindred to what we're, we're doing now in many ways. And it was really the kind of tents and banners and flags that we, we call our action village now, local and national nonprofits that are, that are joining up. Those are the folks that we're shining a light on. Oftentimes they're connected to the band that's out on the road and it's a reflection of the artist's own interests and passions and activism. So that was what Bonnie had done. So there were a lot of, you know, anti-nukes groups and environmental groups and indigenous rights groups that she would bring out. Also some some demos. Maybe we're talking about, hey, there's solar and it's accessible for you in your home or um, looking at biodiesel as an alternative fuel. And so we kind of took that model and brought that out on tour with the Bare Naked Ladies and Alanis Morissette for that very first tour. And um, meanwhile, saying, hey, you know what, we need fellow fans and volunteers to to reach out and talk to their other fans at the show to get them to come over to this, this eco-village or action village and get engaged with what's happening in their own backyard with nonprofits from their community. And that's really, you know, how it started. So it is that green highway model of Bonnie's that we've, that we've grown um, on site and now obviously, you know, online in the world of social media and you know, connecting nationally and internationally with with artists and other nonprofits like Music Declares Emergency. So, if we if we sort of fast forward to the present, then Lauren, and I mean, over the last almost two decades, as you described there, you've ended up working with numerous high profile artists. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you work with artists now? So, when when Reverb and an artist collaborate. What are the levels? What are the things that you do? You, you mentioned there the Eco Village. The one thing is that there can be a presence from Reverb at a artist concert to be there with some climate education to engage fans. But it, it's not just that, is it? What can you just talk us through some of the ways that you work with artists? To break it down, we have our you know our front of house where we would be as fans at a show, and then there's the the backstage area. So those are kind of the two realms in which we operate. And so we'll work with bands uh, along the spectrum. So it might be a, a small band that is heading out on a van tour for the first time and they care about the environment, they want to know what to do. So we know that every band has a, a contract writer that goes to the venue asking for food backstage or things that are important to them. So we might say, hey, let us take a look at your contract writer. We're going to kind of revamp that nudging and pushing for different sustainable elements. Um, so it might be that, hey, you know what, we don't want styrofoam, we really want to have reusable plates and utensils on site. 
Um, so it might be something as small as that, or, hey, you know what, we're going to calculate your footprint looking at exactly where you go in that van, and we're going to get some carbon offsets, or we're going to look at reducing your greenhouse gas emissions through supporting projects. So it might, it might be that. We might set them up with reusable water bottles. And is that what you'd describe as a green rider? Is that a green rider model or have you got a different way of describing that? Yeah, I mean, we have, we call it like we have different levels, you know, so it might be like mm. a level one, two or three. So that might be a level one where we're not on the road with them. We're helping them sending out biocompostable utensils and cups and bowls for them or reusable kits for them to use. So, you know, looking at their merch lines, can we help with eco-friendly merch? So we really just like peel apart everything that they're interested in examining um, in their operational world and try to make each element more sustainable. Is that just on the touring side as well? Is that the sort of the whole picture? Or is it um, mainly just to do with on the road? I mean, th- this facet is on the road. And then we'll have artists that, you know, like Guster, like my husband, co-founder, co-director's band, they're, you know, they might be playing larger theaters and they might have a bus, maybe two buses. And we say, hey, you've, you've got a merch person that we're going to train up. They'll wear the hat of merch person and reverb person. And they'll set up next to the merch area some nonprofit. Maybe we'll have one or two issues there that fans can engage with. So it's kind of a small action village of sorts. And then again, we do all those behind the scenes pieces. And then we've got the larger band, like a Dave Matthews band or a Billie Eilish, where we might have one or even two staff out on the road embedded on the tour, like a you know, guitar tech or a, a rigger that's rolling out in the morning, setting up recycling bins, talking to the venue people, mapping out where the action village is going to be, um, setting up the, the teams with reusable bottles, setting up water stations so they're ditching disposables, uh, inviting in um, f- farmers that are picking up compost, setting up from the back office, setting up the caterers with farm local farm food hang on rewind the the farmer's picking up compost can you explain what that's for at a gig <laughs> so with a with a touring party you know with a band you might have anywhere from you know 20 to 80 100 people out on the road rolling along and so they often will bring tour catering with them so somebody that they hire and will work with that tour cater mm. and say hey you know what you're fit you're hitting 40 stops along your tour we reverb in our back office are going to research the farms that are in the area of each of those 40 stops and find out what they're providing in terms of produce and um, sustainable Mm. uh, foods and help support that local food system. And so then we'll offer up this list to the caterer, say, hey, you can purchase from XYZ Farm, all of these elements. And then we kind of track that, work with the caterer. And then oftentimes we'll invite that farmer out to say, hey, you know what, all the food scraps that were produced over the course of the day, if you want to take that back to your farm and turn that into Uh. compost... You can do that. So we do that with Dave Matthews Amazing. Band, with Fish, with um, some other bands. So we're just trying to, you know, support those local food systems and and local farmers. So it's a, a win-win all around. The, the on-the-ground action sounds amazing, Lauren, in terms of engaging fans. So, I mean, could you give us an example? So when you, when you work with an artist like the 1975 or Billie Eilish, what does a fan encounter when they walk into a into an eco-village or the reverb area at the, the arena gig? And what kind of actions do you encourage uh, fans to take off the back of meeting them? Yeah, and so it totally depends on the issues at hand. So... For instance, like Dave Matthews Band, over the course of their um, evolution with our relationship with them, they've been interested in uh, GMO labeling one year. They've been interested in wildlife conservation another year. So fans each year 
or at the show might find different issues that they can interact with. So it might be, you know, signing on to support a local group. It might be signing on to support, you know, rhinos and, and elephants and conservation in South Africa. It might be um, signing on to, you know, support legislation around GMO labeling. It really runs the gamut. Um, with some bands, we also kind of like lean into some social issues as well, like around mental health issues. We worked with a band called Dispatch on that. Um, where people can send messages of support and strength to folks dealing with with mental health issues. And as we all know, being out in nature is one of the the greatest things that we can do for our mental health, especially during these COVID times. Um, and the power of nature to, to heal is really important. So making that connection, like there's still the environmental connection, which is always interesting. Um, John Mayer is interested in, you know, veterans issues and supporting veterans that return. So we'll, we'll kind of allow the artist's activism to speak through that. Billie Eilish, obviously a, a vegan and animal rights activist doing some amazing things with Oscar de la Renta in terms of her Met Gala. Mm-hmm work and, yeah. and encouraging them and, and really kind of asking them to to get rid of their use of fur and all of their fashion. And that was a successful um, ask on her part, which is so phenomenal. And so you know, we'll work with Support and Feed, which is an organization that, that Billy and her family connect with that is around getting vegan food into um, the hands of people. So lots of issues. So fans can come on, they can sign on. It's offering up their email address, offering to volunteer in their community, um, signing on to support certain legislation, sending a, a message to somebody who might be confronting mental health issues, you, you name it. Um, people at, at Guster shows uh, offsetting their their drive to and from the show. Well, we'll, we'll take down where they live, we'll calculate the mileage, and then we'll go and offset fans' drives to and from the show to help reduce the carbon footprint of that um, that community of fans. And what sort of anecdotal feedback have you had from the artists that you've worked with over the years? You know, at the end of a tour, you know, everybody comes off tour and then, you know, they sort of debrief and they come to you and you talk about how it went. What have some of the artists said about the, the impact of, of collaborating with Reverb? I mean, it's it's really been a, a successful, wonderful collaboration, honestly, because I think it allows them to feel like they're sharing a different facet of who they are as a person with their fans and that their activism gets to speak out there without them having to necessarily kind of preach from stage. And a lot of people want to maintain the artistic, um, kind of the mu- musical artistic space on stage. And, you know, some artists will say something from stage on occasion, but a lot of times we get to do that for them and offer up a different dynamic to the show experience so that folks come in, they get to engage with the reverb, engage with their artists, um, you know, kind of favorite issues. And so, yeah, we've gotten wonderful feedback. And I, and I think the most important feedback for us is, you know, Reverb, we started out kind of, well, we won't even know we're there. We're going to be behind the scenes and we'll just reflect the artist's interest. But now we're like, no, we're a community of mm-hmm. music makers and music lovers. And we're, we're really trying to wrap our arms around the entire music community to bring everybody into this sustainability movement. And, um, you know, the artists have allowed us to do that. And what what is most important to us is artists coming back to us to say, hey, we want to work with you again this year, this time we're going out on tour. And that's, you know, for us, our, our kind of our, our reputation and our, our year after year relationship with many of the artists we work with is really the thing that, that kind of speaks volumes for us and that we're so grateful for. Perhaps this is a question sort of better directed at your, your colleagues and, and the volunteers and the people that work with Reverb out on tour. But like, what are the conversations like that you have with fans? Because you, you work with such a wide spectrum of artists. Like I imagine the demographic of people attending a Harry Styles show is very different to that of a Dave Matthews band concert. So, you know, I, I suppose I'm imagining that a lot of the interactions between um, Reverb and, and fans at those gigs are, are, are fairly kind of positive. Maybe some people have a little bit of climate knowledge. But 
I mean, on the sort of opposite end, are there sometimes people that don't have any climate knowledge and, and uh, it's not always easy, is it? No, it's definitely not always easy. And I would say it's, it is far easier than it was originally. We would have really intense conversations. The discourse was very, very different when we started out. Um, right. Environmentalism and, and this sort of activism was much more of an outlier issue in um, kind of community. And I mm. think especially, at, <clears throat> excuse me, as young folks have been um, kind of integrating the concept of climate change and the climate crisis and have been educated about this from the get-go. Mm. The, the youth and the fan community out there is so well-versed and able to have these conversations that we, we encounter that less and less, which is kind of refreshing. And sometimes even, you know, some people come, hey, did you hear about the latest study about blah, blah, blah? And, and oh, no, I, I didn't read that. So people are even coming. So we're, we definitely, we, we're not scientists. You know, we're, we're organizers, we're producers, we're environmentalists ourselves, but we welcome all of that information and education. And we love that, you know, fans and, and volunteers have that as well. And so it is kind of all in the mix. But I, I think a lot of times we'll have, a volunteer or fan come up and maybe they're bringing they're interested but their friend that's tagging along for the show isn't and that's sort of that interesting moment where they're like oh yeah okay harry styles likes the environment oh uh, that yeah that's pretty cool okay well okay yeah yeah i'll listen to what you have to say um so you'll kind of get in there that way and that's really that's the beauty of the whole situation you know like they're they're there because their favorite artist is playing and they're Minds and hearts are maybe a little more open to hearing about, you know, what Harry Styles cares about or what Billie Eilish cares about or what the 1975 cares about. Um, oh, wow. They did this thing with Greta. That's really cool. Yeah, I've heard some of their music, but um, I'm kind of new to the band and I'm new to these issues. Like, tell me more. And I discovered Reverb's work a few years ago via your connection with Billie Eilish that you mentioned and her the work that you did with her on her world tour. How influential was that partnership for spreading word about what Reverb do? And do you create some kind of debrief after each collaboration that captures like the impact of your of your partnerships? Yeah, Billy um, partnering with Reverb was was a, a, a game changer for us. You know, she went on on to one of the late night shows here in the states and talked about Reverb, and we were you know floored beyond floored. You know, like we're like we're an eight person nonprofit in Portland, Maine, in the United States, so we're. We're a little tiny organization, scrappy and nimble and working hard. So it was really just a wonderful thing for us um, and definitely elevated the conversation. And, and her activism is just phenomenal. And, and because she's kind of brought us into her fold and, and we're partnering on these issues, it's, it's an easy thing to say, hey, you know, we're working with Billie Eilish. And, and that's sort of a, a, a resume piece that, that is a wonderful bridge builder to other artists, which has been phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's that's an amazing thing. And then, yes, after each tour, we will, um, Lara Seaver, who's our director of projects, will take all of the data and crunch all the numbers. We track everything very methodically. You know, how many bottles did people um, donate money to receive? How many water jugs were filled up? How many gallons were um, used? How many, you know, disposable plastic water bottles were, were kept out of the landfill? And how much recycling was collected that night? you know, you, how many actions were taken, how many signatures on, you know, each, each piece of the campaign. So we track all of that and then create what we call a recap at the end of the tour that we present to the artist and their management team. And, um, usually we'll put right online on our website. So if, if people want to go to reverb.org, they can always go check it out and, and check out some of these, these recaps that are, are really, um, wonderful ways to distill exactly what each fan community did collectively. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to, um, to always examine that at the end of each tour. 
I would urge people listening to this as well to go and check out the resources that you make available on the Reverb website because it's really thorough. There's so much good stuff in there to dig into. Like if you're if you're new to, to sort of approaches to sustainability, whether you're making music or not working in music, doesn't matter. Just if you have an interest in that area, like go and go and spend a little bit of time just kind of finding your way around the Reverb website because there's great stuff there. I think this is a great time to mention the URL of the Reverb website. <laughs> Please do. Is it, It's reverb.org? Correct. Yes. Yep. Okay, Reverb.org. That's right. It's, it's hard not to feel really um, encouraged by all of the stuff that we've talked about so far, Lauren. Like, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, the work that you're doing is, 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 you know, was pretty much ahead of its time. It's been really progressive. You're engaging probably, I mean, you might know the figures. I imagine you've interacted with millions of fans by this point. I suppose, you know, just to sort of um, ground ourselves a little bit in, in the seriousness of the, the climate and ecological emergency. And, 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 you know, we're just a small part within that big issue. What still do you think are some of the, um, the, the challenges, some of the sort of barriers that you see, like still thinking specifically about the kind of music space, like you're doing great work, but there must be some things that you look at and you just think, why is that not sorted by now? Or why are we not ahead of where we are in that in that part of things? One is concessions. That's a big one. And, um, you know, working to get rid of disposable plastic straws, working to offer up vegan options. And, and really, you know, it's, it's always a question of what venues are going to take it further and just say, hey, you know what, we're not serving meat anymore. That's one of the most impactful things that we as individuals can do to help the planet and even our bodies. So we're not serving it. We have delicious options, but off you go. Um, so would concessions include um, all the food outlets, but maybe like... Well, I mean, I think when I when I say concessions, I think food and drink and all of the, the vessels and, and usually disposable items that go with serving the, that food, the food and drink. That's an area that, that we're always keen to kind of get, get into, but they're really these huge contracts that are made by giant entities. So... Um, you know, artists like Billy and, and um, others, Dave Matthews Band and others have asked, you know, like, we don't want any disposable plastic straws or, at our show, or we do mm. want to have a vegan item on offer. So, you know, the more powerful the artists, the better they're selling out that venue, the more sway they have, something that we're um, always talking about and, and looking at. And, and obviously, you know, travel, travel is an issue. I, I remember, I think Willie Nelson said, uh, you know, like, help the environment, stay the fuck home. I guess what, what, he, what he said once it in perfect Willie style. And, you know, the reality is that the, the lion's share of the carbon footprint for any show is connected to the fans travel to and from the venue. You know, how are venues, how are we as individuals either carpooling, how are venues positioning themselves to have transportation that is helping mm. folks to ditch mm. their cars and get in there through public transportation or through um, any kind of ride sharing and also, um, and then, you know, looking at the artist tour routing, how that's mapped out, you know, there's some much larger issues that are kind of wildly systemic and incredibly difficult to tackle. You know, it's like every musician and every venue at play at once. And how do you route a tour perfectly? So the carbon footprint is as minimal as possible mm -hmm. and, um, decreasing the use to, of, of airline flights and all of that sort of stuff. But it's, um, those are gigantic issues. And so those are things that we talk about and um, are having dialogue about, but they're really kind of a, a, a push point for many of the larger artists where they have, I think, a larger kind of megaphone to, to bring those issues up to the, to the venues. And we always want to support and help do that where we can. I must admit, like, I, I often think that um, almost an unfair amount of emphasis is put on artists around the climate conversation because we, we think we automatically go to think about the Billie Eilish's of the 1975s and like, what are they doing around sustainability? And like you just mentioned there, it's they are just one part of the, the music family. So it's really important that, you know, wh why wouldn't a 
huge venue be considering their own these things just as uh, uh, seriously you know it's it can't uh, it can't just be on the artist can it i think it i think that's the thing that's evolving right now is everybody realizes that they have to play the part whether that's the festival whether that's the logistics team helping provide all the equipment that actually goes on the tour or the transport company that supplies the tour bus or everybody's like okay yeah i've got to do my bit so uh, uh, you know do you think eventually reverb will will sort of evolve and it, and it will be less artist focused or or perhaps it will just be those areas will start coming up a little bit further, perhaps. Yeah, and they definitely are. Like Live Nation, AEG, or you know, lar- some of the largest promoters on the planet, and um, they they definitely are digging in to to work to do their part. And obviously, it's a much it's a much bigger ship to to turn around. <laughs> it takes a little a bit longer than perhaps one artist or a small nonprofit organization. But one thing that we're trying to do at Reverb is. Um, kind of take away the silos. We've kept a lot of the artists that we work with or venues that we work with or festivals that we work with in, in silos. Like we're working on this one project, okay, and we hammer out those details. But what we're trying to do now, especially in light of the climate crisis that we're all facing, is, is kind of wrap our arms around each other. And and what we've started is called Music Climate Revolution. And Music Claire's Emergency is a partner in that as well, which we love. And it's, it's really about, um, you know, kind of three elements, helping to fund and build infrastructure, we're trying to bring together venues and radio stations and artists and nonprofits and, you know, you name it uh, into the fold to have this, this discourse and dialogue and make sure that as artists are coming on board saying, yes, I'm a partner of Music Climate Revolution, they're doing, taking a step and taking responsibility. And then kind of the mandate around being part of Music Climate Revolution is that they're, they're increasing those actions as they go. So maybe next time you go on tour, you're doing, you're not just doing, um, you know, sourcing local farm food, but you are going to ditch disposable plastic water bottle use entirely for band and crew. And, and Lauren, there's, there's so much to do among so many sectors of the music industry. And we're only one industry and there's all the industries in the world. Are we going to, are we going to do it? You know, like where, where do you, do you always, do you have a maintaining optimism and drive that says we, we are going to get there and it takes loads of work, but we're going to do it. Or do you have moments where you think, I don't even I'm asking someone to stop using a plastic straw, but it's like, this is much bigger problem than that. Where, where do you fall on that? Or does it, do you land on different parts of that spectrum on different days? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm generally a, a hopeful person, I think in my, in, in my, in terms of my disposition and there's a, we're in Portland, Maine and it has a great art community here. And there was an art installation that somebody put up that is this giant, almost like a marquee from a music venue in this really cool font that just says hopeful. And people now have that bumper sticker. You see the bumper sticker around on cars and things like that. But I, that is generally how I feel. Um, I do feel hopeful. But I, I do think the speed with which we need to solve this problem is is um, needs to be warp speed now. And, and I know that um, the things that we have been facing, you know, just here in the United States and and abroad in terms of um, these heat emergencies and hurricanes and um, mm. just intense weather events, like people are feeling the impact, the fires and floods, like this is going to keep happening and it's going to be more and more intense as we go. You know, there are great people out there talking about the issues and making sure that the climate crisis is, is in the news and in um, kind of top of mind. So I, I hope that that clarion call that's being put out there by all these incredible nonprofits around the world and, and these musicians that we all get to work with that are that are shouting from the rooftops as well and, and doing their part that that we can all just do better together and encourage that and just bring bring somebody along with you. But 
Yeah, there are days when I am certainly <laughs> down in the dumps, but I have to remember that in the midst of all the logistics and production pieces that Reverb works on, that if I actually just go like lie down outside on the ground for a little bit, that it all becomes clear, like why we're doing this and what we're fighting for and how literally grounding and important it is to fight for this incredibly gorgeous, beautiful planet that we get to be on. I mean, it's a miracle that we're here at all. Um, we have this campaign called the No More Bloodwood campaign, which is all about musicians and them understanding where the wood that makes their instrument comes from. Are there nefarious things around the piece of wood that is a musician emanating this this gorgeous song and rhythm out into the world that that might have that terrible kind of legacy or heritage behind it? So at Reverb, we, we have this No More Bloodwood campaign that looks at that and looks at, you know, what can we be doing as consumers, not only of people that, you know, as people that purchase musical instruments, but as people that buy chairs and flooring and, you know, decor for our home. Mm. Where does that wood come from? Lauren, I, I had one more question before before we finish up, and it, and it was just to ask about um, the power of that intersection between music and climate action. And we, we've already talked a bit here about the size of the voice that an artist can have on this subject. There are still some people out there who respond to their artists having opinions on things that aren't music by saying like, just shut up and play the songs do you have any thoughts on that because you know we, we, you know we're obviously on this podcast great supporters of artists having a voice on any subject they feel that they want to have it still happens a lot doesn't it i think it is honestly the shut up and play or shut up in you know whatever you know shut up and play for you know colin kaepernick shut up and play musicians shut up and play all of that makes me um as a very calm and very positive person generally makes me furious honestly um i feel outrage at that because Every human being that exists on this planet has a voice, is a citizen, has the ability to share their their own activism, their own thoughts. Just because you're you're an artist on social media doesn't mean that you're not a human being that has impacts to your own life, to, to people that you love, seeing the the devastation that's happening in the world around you and wanting to do something about it. So the fact that it's you know if if does that mean that people that that work at a corporate office aren't allowed to voice their opinion online about their personal thoughts and beliefs uh i don't think so we all get to do that and um yeah so i think that's it's critical that we all share our voice as individuals as artists we are many things each of us is many things there are many facets to who we are and um, I think sharing all of those facets of who we are is a really important thing, especially around the climate crisis and, and any issues um, out there. So I'm a huge fan of being able to share that and um, think it's ridiculous that your career choice would define what you're able to talk about. Right. Free speech. Isn't that what we're all about? So, yeah. Absolutely. So inspiring, Lauren. And I thought I genuinely, we, I work with Reverb with Music to Claire's Emergency. I thought you were this like really big organization. And like, <laughs> yes. We're a little, little wee organization in this little three room office in Portland, Maine. And um, yeah, there are eight of us and we have, you know, we have maybe five people out on the road that we hire. Mm. They come and go off of the tours. But yeah, we're we're a small organization and we're we're very feisty and hyper efficient. The reverb team is incredible, an incredible team to work with. Everybody is just operating in, at the highest level and frequency and um yeah just a great crew of people so yeah it gives off the impression of being like your voice is much much bigger than the the, the quantity of people but that's right and that goes to any of us can have that voice right and that's that's mm. the thing we always talk about like spheres of influence like everybody has power in their own lives you just have to harness it like everybody has a voice no matter where you are you're a little kid in second grade you can go talk to your teacher. You can go talk to the principal. You can bring in a reusable water bottle and tell your friend. You can, everybody has a voice, no matter how big or small. 
so great to hear from Lauren in that conversation. What did you come away from that conversation thinking, Faye? And what were, what were your impressions of Lauren and the work that she does with Reverb? Well, first of all, I was just amazed that they're such a small team because they do such a huge amount of work. Mm. I mean, they're, they're doing this work in the States as well, which is just the most enormous place with the hugest music industry in the world. So it's um, amazing that such a small team do so much. It's real dedication. And also just it's really interesting the story of how they came about through just sort of seeing the problem through touring themselves and just wanting to look for answers really and and finding that between conversations and friendship and um, communication with each other. Um, and that sort of those solutions coming from those conversations. I love the expression that she used, which was um, that what she was seeing and what she was doing in, in a kind of daily life felt counterintuitive to the art that her partner Adam was was creating with the band and, and going out on tour with. It, it felt at odds with it, which which rung true. I remember you telling the story of being out at Coachella a few years ago and seeing the, the climate action happening back in the UK. And, and you sort of described that feeling of just being like, this this feels jarring, this feels wrong. On one level we're doing this and then this other other thing going on. So really, really impactful way of just sort of describing that, I thought. I love the detail that Lauren was explaining about when, when reverbs send um, people on the road with artists about how they work day to day. So um, those individuals might be working, they might be like a lighting engineer or a backstage manager or, or whatever roles are involved with big touring productions, but they're also a working for reverb so they'll kind of like add that sort of responsibility onto their role and be out there setting up the eco village and coordinating the the backstage catering um that was another thing i did what did you think of that that idea about working with like sourcing food locally from local farmers and bringing that in to feed all of the team and the bands and everybody that was on the tour that that that's amazing isn't it it sounds really healthy as well and I, it's the kind of thing that you'd mm. dream up saying oh we should do this but no one has the time to do it so that's where reverb reverb step in and mm. and put in that time and, and work to make all of that stuff happen and I guess once you've done one tour you already have a whole network of people you can contact again so it just you know builds networks around the whole country mm. around the world but you've had some amazing backstage catering and some terrible backstage catering experiences haven't you Greg, I was offered a cooked avocado once as the vegetarian option, and I literally cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was going to stick it in the microwave, were they? Just. Oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, I hope you weren't just offered some sort of, you know, carrot sticks and cucumber every night on tour. No, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's better. different. It's very different in different countries. Um, some countries really get vegetarian food and veganism and some just really don't quite seem to get mm. it yet so but I think it's probably changing everywhere I've got this image in my head of the fact that Reverb connecting uh, artists and venues with local food producers to supply the catering at the gigs this they, they probably get like a complimentary ticket don't they? you probably got somebody out in the kind of sticks in somewhere in sort of you know rural America is sort of been invited to a Harry Styles gig to come into town for the night to come and see Harry Styles even though day by day they're probably sort of growing the corn or whatever that everybody's eating backstage i love that idea <laughs> i'm interested to get your thoughts on this as well Faye. like uh, reverb kind of offer this opportunity for artists to take climate education and engagement on the road with them via these that eco villages i thought what was that was interesting hearing lauren talk about the fact that that's a way of doing it without artists having to talk about it on stage without basically having to do the whole bono thing every night by by sort of you know there being a moment in that concert where they sort of address the issues that they care about what do you make of that idea is that is that is that still kind of something you think is a really effective way of still engaging somebody on the ground who's gone to see that gig yeah definitely definitely and i don't think it should be a presumption that every artist can 
fit some kind of lecture into their set. I mean, it doesn't... So for some people, it works with their stage persona and, and how they are and how they talk on stage. But with many artists, it just really wouldn't sit right. And you don't want to sort of have to destroy your art to, like, speak about climate. So it's a really clever way of doing it. And also, yeah, just having people to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with the crowd, answer questions and be sort of in the area for people when they're milling around before the show when they're probably more open to hear about new ideas and, and things like that. Once you're in the show, it's it's great if people can get that in, but I don't think it should be a presumption that it, it's a good fit for all artists. And there's a lot to be said for the kind of simple power of just, if you are, again, to use the Harry Styles example, if you're a devout Harry Styles fan and you're kind of you want to know the kind of things that Harry Styles is into and you go to that Harry Styles concert and there's an eco village where where there's kind of some information on offer about sustainability and climate action there's just a lot to be said for that simple power of uh, a fan being like oh if Harry Styles is into this then I think I might be into mm. this like we've all did it like as young music fans you, that's what you do right like I would read about stuff that my favorite artists were into and I'd be like, well, I, I, I want to know about that. Like, oh, whoever, um, I'm trying to not give examples of artists that I was into <laughs> to give away who, my, my early music fandom. But um, that's a really, really simple engagement tool, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the, you've basically just put in a nutshell, the cultural sort of power of a musician or an artist. It it really is. Um, and I think that applies to all all levels of artists as well you can have very small up-and-coming artists or you know people who aren't even up-and-coming they've been around for a bit but not you know anywhere near the scale of Harry Styles or Billie Eilish still have that cultural power I think it's it's something to do with people really looking up to musicians uh, no matter what scale they are because it's it's a it's a very brave thing to do to get on stage and to be vulnerable in front of people and to create music and that creates this don't know a feeling of we all look at musicians as being kind of like godly in a way because they're just doing this amazing thing on stage that everyone seems to want to do I mean I went to a gig last night I went and saw Black Honey and I'm really good friends with Izzy the singer and I'd never seen her play before because we met during lockdown and it was just seeing her suddenly be the rock star on stage was like wow <laughs> she <laughs> just takes it away from like it's it's yeah I know she's my friend mm. but when she's on the stage with the lights and all of that sound and the power it's like being up there on stage it just means that that everything they say has so much more weight to it and so much more influence to it and I think that it's yeah it's such a power yeah and the origins of the wood of the instruments that we play that was something I must be honest I don't know why, but it hadn't occurred to me at all until until um, Lauren brought it up in the conversation, talking about the kind of ethical sourcing of of those materials. And obviously, just that's enormous, isn't it? <laughs> like making sure that that brand new guitar you buy hasn't been kind of you know has been sourced in a responsible and proper manner. It's just something that I hadn't really kind of got my head around until that point. Yeah, it's a bit of a mind bender because it, it almost feels like a guitar just exists. <laughs> it's not mm. made out of anything. Yeah, it's made out of guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's made out of music magic <laughs> but yeah they can be made out of very rare woods and, and not sourced responsibly so definitely definitely worth doing your research if you're buying a new instrument or as is the same in most areas of purchasing buy second hand you know it's it's always going to be mm. more sustainable to buy a pre-loved item 
definitely definitely maybe something we'll look into in a future episode of sounds like a plan do drop us a message um and let us know where you are and where you're listening we are on instagram at sounds like a plan podcast and we've also got an email too we are sounds like a plan podcast at gmail.com um Faye, let's get some recommendations let's start with you what would you like to shout out this week on the podcast well um at music declares emergency we've just dropped people say dropped don't they we just dropped two new t-shirt designs um they both say no music on a dead planet as they all do one is by the amazing design studio called adapt who we're working on our climate music blowout with and the other one is by a very unknown band called the 1975 no don't know them that one (laughs) did its drop yesterday and yeah amazing to have their support and it's just such a cool design so check those out and I will just say obviously creating new merch items and new products etc is not always the most sustainable option but these are made so ultra sustainably they're only printed to order there's no dead stock and you can send them back to be recycled at the end of their life to the manufacturer to T-Mill and you get store credit so it's it's a new way of doing merch. It's definitely worth looking into the T-Mill website if you're creating merch and you actually you can start really small because you don't have to buy loads of stock. You just set the design up and then you only create what gets bought. So you don't have to really put any money in as far as I'm aware. It all sort of self-funds. So yeah, T-Mill are brilliant. I guess that's the recommendation, but also have a look at our Music Declares Emergency shop. It's musicdeclares.shop and all the designs are there. So yeah, check them out. Yeah, the 1975 t-shirt is really, really cool. And you are, by getting involved with that, you're help funding the work that Music Declares do as well. So that is really, really important. Oh yeah, that that part, yeah. yeah, that's, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a big part of it. And on the merch front, we're going to, this is a topic, it's a massive area. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the series. We'll be talking to Sam Carter from Architects, who has a, has a great approach to all of that. My recommendation this week, we're, we're obviously just a few weeks out from COP26 now. Lots more on that to come in the next few episodes. But if you are after some background, some resources, maybe just like an injection of... Um, a bit of realism, a bit of knowledge, a bit of brain food and positivity. Then last week was the TED Talks Countdown Summit in Edinburgh, obviously deliberately timed as a preview ahead of COP26 happening in Glasgow in November. All week they were welcoming around a thousand speakers to discuss the climate challenge. Theme of it was all about turning ideas into action, which is exactly what we need right now in a bid to create a better world. You'll all know about TED Talks, obviously, but um, this is like a treasure trove of climate insight they recorded talks with so so many people um, everyone from Nicola Sturgeon the first minister for Scotland through to Alec Sharma the president of COP26 and like all TED talk stuff they're, they're really compact they're like five eight ten minutes long really easy to get through I was having a skim through um, the last few days and there's people like David Lammy giving a mini lecture about climate justice and uh, racial justice um, Ursula von der Leyen the president of the European Commission outlining how Europe is going to be the first carbon neutral continent by 2050 and the famous installation artist Oliver Eliasson um, talking about how societies need to be listening to the youth more on this subject. Like I say there are tons I kind of lost count of how many talks there were uh, on there that were produced from this event so just bookmark it for a rainy day and just kind of put yourself in a wormhole and then check all of those out. The URL is ted.com slash series slash countdown or they are TED Countdown on Twitter and on Instagram. So do go and check some of those out. So thanks for listening to this episode and thanks again to Lauren from Reverb for joining us. See you next time for more Sounds Like a Plan. 
Thanks for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host along with me, Greg Cochran. This podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find more about them at newallotment.com. Parts of this episode were recorded at Pirate Studios, Tottenham, London. Pirate offer a range of modern and affordable recording and rehearsal spaces at more than 25 locations across the UK. And they're open 24-7. For more info or to book a studio, hit the link in our show notes. This episode has been edited by Mighty Moon Media and the artwork is by Stuart Stubbs. Our theme music was created by lightandthunder.com. Until next time we're together, thank you for listening.